Hello, GM, GM, and welcome to another episode of the Dead NFT Artist Society podcast. I'm your host, Meta David. Today's guest is going to be something different. Typically, we have creators and artists, but in this episode, we're going to talk to a well-known collector. His name's Inceptionally. He's been in crypto for years and in the NFT space for the past year. He has deep experience in business, so I thought it'd be a good idea to get his different take on trends, topics, and different things going on in the NFT space. Also want to spend a couple minutes talking about some of the perks for those of you that minted the last episode as a free mint NFT. But before I get to do all that, a word from our sponsors. Ledger is the smartest way to secure your crypto holdings. Its hardware wallets are trusted by over 4 million customers and secure, manage, and store over 1,800 crypto assets. Using the Ledger Live app, you will have a one-stop shop for your crypto needs. Buy, sell, exchange, and grow your assets with Ledger's partners easily and securely. Stop getting your wallet drained. Head over to ledger.metadavideth.com and take self-custody today. Dead NFT Artist Society is proudly brought to you by NFT Champ company out of Southern California that creates custom displays for your rarest NFTs at an affordable price. They print your NFT and frame it in a 4x4 inch acrylic display. Simply provide your OpenSea link and they'll pull your image, rank, address, and generate a scannable QR code to OpenSea on the back of the display. These are perfect for NFT collectors or projects looking to hold a physical version of their rarest NFT. Shipping is free in the US and they send within 48 hours of purchase. Grab yours today at nftchamp.metadavideth.com and you'll get a discount again. That's nftchamp.metadavideth.com. So real quick, I wanted to talk about minting the podcast as an NFT. So as you all know, each episode this season will be available to mint as a free NFT for a two-week window, basically in between guests. Um, first thing first, at the end of this particular episode, I'm going to thank everyone who minted episode one. And the way I'm going to do that is just based on the Twitter account that they have tied to their OpenSea account, which is frankly the best and only way that I can track the collector. So that will happen at the end of this episode. So your name will be stored virtually forever, at least 200 years, because we're using our weave. Uh, so one little perk there. The second is each of you are going to receive a Poe app. And the purpose behind the Poe app is, yes, you know, it's a milestone. It's a memento to celebrate. But I was thinking about this and kind of vacillating between two things because I wanted to add an element of collectability uh, for the podcast, which I, you know, which we successfully did there. But I also wanted to give you guys the latitude to be able to sell it if you want to you know, whenever you feel the time is right. It's not for me. It's not in my place to say when that time is. My hypothesis is, is that, you know, if you hold on to it for a while, this podcast is historic at, at, for anything else. It's the fact that we were the first to make it into an NFT on a regular cadence. So I think there's something unique that makes it historically significant there. But I do want you all to be able to sell it at some point in the future. But in the same respect, I want it there to be some sort of way of me identifying anywhere down that line that you were a first mentor. So if you were to, if I didn't do the Poe app and if you were to sell this NFT, then I wouldn't be able to track that. I did, the thing I was vacillating on is I did think about 
you know, dropping soulbound tokens. But the conclusion I came to on that is I have some reservations because some of you might not want necessarily a soulbound token in your wallet. So POAPs by definition are essentially soulbound. So this is kind of a way of giving you all a soulbound uh, token without really having to uh, give one. So you'll still always have that first minter status by virtue of the POAP. Uh, so you have that flexibility to, if you want to, right after you hear this, you know, flip the uh, podcast that you minted last week, you're more than free to do so. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily the best thing to do, but I mean, I would never take any offense to anyone uh, selling any of the uh, podcasts. In fact, I, you know, hope that it generates some value for you down the line where you do want to sell it and flip it. Um, so, and that's totally fine. So that's uh, the second thing there. Now, the third thing that I want to do for you all and reward you by uh, with is that each of you who minted will receive a unique one-to-one NFT. So what is it that you're going to be receiving? Here's what I'm going to do is for each of you that minted, I'm going to take a look at the wallet that you used to mint and look at the date that you uh, created the wallet. And then I'm going to use a major U.S.-based newspaper, and I'm going to pull the top news item of that particular day. I'm going to enter that into an AI platform as a prompt, and it's going to create an image. I'm going to use an additional layer of AI to scale up that image just because AI-generated images aren't very high res. And I want you all, if you want to, um, yeah, I'd like to deliver first and foremost, I just want to give you high-quality product. But uh, I also, if you want to, for whatever reason, if you want to sell the, um, you know, if you want to uh, not sell, but if you want to print the the image, uh, you can or display it in any which way you want without compromising on image uh, quality or integrity there. So it'll also be upscaled. And that token's going to be uniquely yours. It's a one-on-one based on the method that I described, which is, you know, looking at the wallet, looking at the date that your wallet was created, entering that into an AI prompt. Uh, the news, the top news item, the top news item of the date that your wallet was created, entering that into an AI prompt and then creating an image off of that. And uh, the name of the collection is going to be called, this is your web three life. And yes, it's a little bit of, I love puns, as you can tell from the name of the podcast, it's a play on the TV show called, this is your life. So this is your web three life. This is my way of thanking you all for being a first mentor. So several perks there uh, to recap. Uh, I will be reading your name off at the end of this episode. You will receive a POAP, which is kind of serving as a soulbound token, but not really, but it'll always in perpetuity as long as POAP is around, or I should say die the blockchain that POAP uses. You will always be able to identify you as a first mentor. That's what I'm going to call you all. And then third, you will be receiving um, that token uniquely yours based on, you know, some AI mechanics to, to kind of make it interesting. Even though this was a free mint, you did take the time to mint. You paid the gas before, and I want to reward your trust and confidence in me. So I'm going to continue throughout the season. I said this up front, guys, that we're going to be doing a bunch of cool things this year that we didn't do last year. And we're going to keep things interesting. And I can't guarantee that every single episode is going to have something interesting, but I'm going to have interesting stuff throughout the uh, throughout the course of the season, and I will likely carry that over into future seasons. So we're just going to keep 
keep things lively here. Uh, not dull. It's not just going to be routine podcast episodes being dropped every two weeks. Uh, I hope that you guys are enjoying them and they're not overly routine, but we're just going to be adding like really cool, unique mechanics that haven't been done. So in itself, you know, the, the podcast intrinsically is unique in the sense that we're dropping every episode as an NFT to complement what's on, you know, Apple Music and Google and Spotify and those other platforms that you're all using to stream. But with the element uh, that we're adding here of collectability and being able to reward and track those, that intrinsically, like I said, is unique. But we're going to also add some cool things there that, to my knowledge, haven't been done before either. So, so stay tuned. It's going to be a fun season. Thanks again for your support, guys. And now on to Inceptually. Inceptually, welcome to the podcast. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me, David. Yeah, no problem. Just uh, really honored to have you. You're a really prolific uh, collector, one that uh, I think we started collecting NFTs around the same time. So I've watched your wallet. I think you've watched mine. We collect a lot of the same artists. So really wanted to have you on the podcast so that our listeners can kind of hear the perspective of a collector because we haven't had that before. So uh, truly appreciate you making the time for us. I'm honored to be the first. No, I, as you know, I have a lot of opinions uh, and, you know, Love it. Sometime, sometimes I'm right. Uh, no, I've enjoyed actually chatting art with you over the, the past year. I just hit my anniversary um, last week, so I'm pretty excited to be uh, an OG now, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's get into it. All right. So why don't we kick it off with you telling us about yourself? So uh, I'm a middle-aged guy. Uh, I've been in tech basically since uh, the graduating college in the 90s, uh, various iterations, you know, worked for big corporations, small corporations, had a couple of startups. Um, and for the most part, uh, I, I've been an investor for the for a good chunk of my uh, career, even on the side. And so always looking out for opportunities. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the things they teach you as, as an investor, when you read the books or, you know, talk to other investors is you look for things that have asymmetric upside. Um, and for me, I, I, that is kind of that term right there was what got me into crypto and NFTs eventually as well. So that's the, the, the high level summary of, of my journey. So you have a, you have a background in investing before even crypto, right? That's kind of like your bread and butter. Yeah, I mean, uh, my father was a professor of uh, finance and accounting, or uh, it still is, and he, uh, he he taught me how to do like a discounted cash flow model when I was in middle school. So uh, the the investing background kind of even predated my interest in technology and and, and my entrepreneurial career, and it's something I've never really given up, um, and so. It, it basically formed a basis of my thinking about how uh, crypto or even NFTs kind of work into my portfolio, into my uh, my risk assessment and what their potential is as well. So it looks like you have a pretty systematic, a systematic approach to when it, uh, when it comes to crypto and things to NFTs. Do you apply that model uh, the same way or how does that look like? So interestingly, you know, I just use the term discounted cash flow. That doesn't really work for most uh, crypto or NFTs. Obviously, there is some stuff in DeFi where you can get some yield. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, you're buying these crypto or NFTs for um, some other reason. 
you know, with, with crypto, it could be future utility. You'll be able to do more with crypto in the future because it's going to be the new, uh, the new currency that replaces the dollar, for example. That's the big dream. Um, and in NFTs, it could be obviously utility. But for the most part, when I eventually did get into NFTs and I was much later to NFTs than I was to crypto, it, my, my view was that I wanted to do it mostly for the art. I loved the fact that you could actually sell it. You could actually make money on it. But I felt that um, the the art was actually the, the interesting part. And I, I think that we have noticed a shift in the art market based on NFTs that's just beginning. Um, and But that that's what really gets me excited about NFTs right now. There's a lot more utility and things that will happen with tokenization and uh, all sorts of uh, Web3 technologies. But uh, on the art front, I think we're, we're seeing a bit of a revolution. So, uh, so let's transition into how you, uh, so you talked a little bit about your background, then you uh, got into crypto. Tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll get to the NFT part. Um, so as an investor, I, I, I read a ton. And so back in um, 2011, I was reading a, a Wired article, and I have a couple of friends that I bounce investing ideas off of. And this Wired article talked about Bitcoin when it, had basically crashed from 30 down to $3. Um, and it talked about how it was used by criminals and all sorts of things. But the article did have some positive spin on what, what Bitcoin could be. And I forwarded on the email to some friends and I was like, that's in the lines of, is this a replacement for the dollar? Uh, and then I wrote, only half kidding. If this thing takes off with just a little bit of adoption, it could be worth hundreds of dollars. <laughs> uh, and 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 the funny part is, I didn't buy any at the time. You couldn't even buy it that easily. Like you have to go find somebody, uh, on, you know, on a on a message board somewhere, or you could mine it, which would have been smart to do. But um, and I didn't do much for a couple of years. And then Coinbase launched, and I remember it um, starting to rise again. And when it got to like a hundred dollars, I I went back and reread that email, and I redid an analysis that basically compared Bitcoin's value to cash currency or gold or any type of uh, a cur like physical currency that had has physical limitations um but also has some of the characteristics that bitcoin has an exchange that you can use to um you know, provide value across countries because that's really what most paper dollars are used for 80 percent of the u.s dollar the physical dollars are actually out of the country and most of those are like in hundred dollar bills so I did that analysis and came up with, I was like, well, this isn't, couldn't be worth hundreds. This could be worth thousands or even, or more. And obviously a lot of the OG in the crypto space said that. Anyway, bottom line is asymmetric upside, as I referenced earlier, I was like, I should own some of this. And so I got in, um, in 2013. And then when Ethereum came around, honestly, I was on a school trip with my kid. He was like, you know, in elementary school and one of the other techie dads was like, oh, you like Bitcoin? I was like, yeah, he goes, you got to check out this Ethereum thing. Um, and he was he was super into the technology. He was talking about how it was going to revolutionize programming. And, you know, we we haven't seen the, the full blossoming of Ethereum from a programming standpoint. But from a, from a standpoint of it doing a lot more than Bitcoin, I think we're all believers in that in the NFT space. And so uh, uh, I got in shortly thereafter. That was in 2015. So 
I wish I had just gone all in on Ethereum. That would have been amazing. But you know, I just I, as as a cautious investor at the time, I was like, well, I should have some of this. So bought a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that's still pretty aggressive to get into it. That you know, in 2015. So hats off to you. I wish I was in that dad circle as well. Um, I'm not. So I found out about. It. I mean, I knew about it, but I didn't have the uh, the circle around me to kind of uh, push me to kind of like purchase and get into it. Uh, so for me, I was just kind of passively reading about it and um, didn't have the same foresight and vision at the time, unfortunately, to get into it. So that's how you got into crypto. As I understand, your NFT journey started a lot later than that, though. Yeah, I watched it, you know, not particularly uh, hardcore. I think I was kind of cynical on the art market in general for most of my uh, my life. Um, we have art on our walls, and my wife's an interior designer. She loves art. And uh, I think my view was, well, let's just buy art that we like that was that's not that expensive because you know, there's so much art out there in the world. Um, and if if you recall, there's a great documentary called Exit Through the Gift Shop. And I remember watching this. And part of the thesis of that is you find somebody who who's good at promotion and has some talent and you can turn them into a successful artist. And that made me sort of uh, even more cynical about the art market. So I think part of me was resistant to getting into art initially. Um, and then uh, as I've sort of matured and got you know, <laughs> a little bit more thoughtful about how what art what role art plays in our lives i think seeing um my children create art and seeing how art can influence um you, your nourish your soul and 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 frankly like send a message or create a narrative or inspire people to do great things um my sort of view on it changed and that was when i started reconsidering nfts and so it wasn't though until early 2022 when I took the plunge at my wife's urging, actually, she, she loved this, um, you know, traditional artist named Ashley Longshore, who's had a ton of success over her 20 plus year career. Um, she's a pop artist and does great work. And she was launching an NFT collection with, um, a, a friend of hers, uh, with some of her iconic women. And so that collection was, the first NFTs that I bought, um, mostly for my wife initially, but I, I, I kind of got the bug of collecting. And um, I think that uh, aping into that collection started a trend for me. I would then find new collections to ape into, mostly ones that I felt um, had some sort of combination of potential uh, and the art that I like. Because, you know, I couldn't, couldn't let go of the investing side of me, um, but also wanted to to focus on artists and art that resonated and and that I that I that I think would resonate with uh with other people as well. Ashley Longshore was kind of the gateway drug it seems like. Uh but you didn't stop there. How did you find other artists? Um well obviously Twitter is the medium right, right. now. Uh, uh, which I found surprising to begin with. I was like why is this the medium? It's yeah, not totally well suited for NFTs. Like we, we could have a probably two hour long chat about how Instagram is fumbling the bag here. But uh, uh, so it, it'd be a lot of it happened on Twitter. Um, I haven't been as much of a like open sea or foundation surfer. Uh, I do I do think that that has a place and I, I've done it a, a little bit. But for me, I like to see an artist um, and an artist's broader community really 
finding themselves a presence in the space, like being able to exhibit their stuff, being able to show some enthusiasm around their stuff or their, or people in their circle of collectors or circle of artists, friends. Um, because part of my view of what's going to have caused success for a lot of artists or collections in the space is um, a ability to promote going back to exit through the gift shop. Um, I got less cynical about that movie after getting into NFTs because my view is that it, it creating a, a a brand or a promotion around your own art um, is just part of the process. Because you know, if if you look at the broader sense of the world, not just like static images or even like you know um, glitch art or anything like that, but just like what is art in general? There's a lot that can be considered art and what resonates with us um, isn't necessarily what's the best. Oftentimes it's what we see and you cannot see something unless it is shown to you, unless it is promoted to you, unless it is shared with you. And getting the word out is an essential part of effectively becoming a um, successful artist. Now, creating art in and of itself is wonderful. In fact, I encourage my kids to do it. I, I try and do it, even if it's, you know, what's not considered good art. Just do something that it, it, that uses your creativity muscles so that you can actually, um, you know, grow that part of your personality. Anyway, bottom line is, uh, I, I I I started looking for artists that were able to sort of break through the noise and um, um, found other collectors that I was impressed with. Other artists I was impressed with. When an artist promotes another artist, I find that to be one of the greatest endorsements. And so a lot of a lot of the folks that I found were people that had broken through um, and and were collected by other artists and other collectors, like yourself. Collection is a big part of it. So you want to see some sort of track record of success from the artists, whether it's from like other artists or other collectors, if I understand correctly. Uh, that's definitely part of it. And it could be offline success or it could be success um, in, uh, in in creating something innovative around your the mechanics of your art. I think that, you know, some of the most successful uh, artists in the space right now just did different things, whether it's some type of cool auction mechanics or burn mechanics or airdrop mechanics. And is that the is that the the way to long term success? You know, I think you're you've been a big believer in our conversations that you know the story hasn't been written about NFTs fully, and we we don't really know how it's all gonna play out. But I think that um, breaking through the noise is an essential piece for me. Yeah, I I want to see I want to see an artist committed to their art and be proud to promote it and display it. Does that mean I want to be shilled? Not, no, no, not really. But I, I think it means that um, they need to understand that it's not just about the creation. The creation's great. They should be doing as much creation as they they want, and let that be uh, an essential part of their life. But if they want to succeed in the art space or in the NFT space, it requires a lot more. Yeah, I agree with a lot of your thesis there. I think, uh, truth be told, there's a lot of good art out there. Uh, but not all the good art yep. necessarily gets sold. And so the question is, is how do you get through the noise in a way that's non, um, 
that you're not shilling, almost like non, you know, confrontational for lack of a better word. So how do you break through the noise? And so uh, th those elements are all there. Uh, I think an element, a key thing that you hit on there is just being in it for the long run. So for me, the artist that has like seen some has overcome some barriers and some obstacles along the way, but still stuck through it. To me, that's like an indicator that that artist is in it for the long run. Whereas a newer artist, um, they're not necessarily battle tested yet. And so it's just like, I don't know, but if they've been around the space and if, if, if presumably they have good art, uh, but we've seen them kind of stick with it um, and being receptive to feedback and also, and I don't mean necessarily feedback, it's not necessarily in our place as collectors to give feedback on the quality of their artwork, but just kind of maybe giving feedback on um, other things that they can do to be more successful. Um, not pressure, but just, you know, feedback, um, exactly like I said, and uh, the artists being receptive to that. I think those are all things that boon really well for, um, you know, the artists. And it's a little bit like akin, I feel like, to getting your first credit card. Um, the first few sales, the first credit card is like are the hardest ones to get. But once you kind of break through that, um, then it starts becoming a little bit easier as as easy as it could be in this space definitely appreciate and respect the amount of time that artists have to spend because it's not just about putting the art together but it's also making it compelling and introducing like you said interesting burn mechanics and um, different things unique uh, unique things that haven't been done before and seeing what you know works and uh, even if it doesn't necessarily land the way that you expect it to just trying something different and again as a collector I think that's an indicator that they're willing to take risks and they're in it for the long run they're not stopped because I think as a collector the one thing that would be extremely disappointed is if they exit the NFT space altogether because as collectors we're all bullish on the space and so um, we're in it for the long haul, so our hope would be is that the artists that we invest in are in it for the long run as well. So really agree with a lot of the thoughts and uh, sentiments that um, you said there. So um, as far as like uh, artists, uh, what are the ones that are interesting to you, either ones in the real life world or the NFT world? Great question. I think for me... I am enjoying art right now um, that is, I don't know, it, it's interesting. I like the, the, the art that overloads the senses. <laughs> um, and uh, I like art that is, is sort of more, as our, as our mutual uh, friend and, and artist that we both collect, Decalife says, the art of our times. Uh, and I think that if you look at what NFTs allow uh, artists to do, it's different than, than a canvas. You know, you, you can have movement, you can have um, glitches, you can have video. Um, and you, you, as you just launched your, your own podcast, podcast as an yeah. NFT. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, so I think finding artists that are pushing the boundaries in those areas, in addition to, you know, static art that is so deeply layered and interesting, um, I, I, that that's what I'm drawn to right now. Um, I think that there is a, a a trend in the space where both on the collector front and on the artist front, the rich get richer. And so uh, I, I'm trying to, you know, find the, the newer artists that, you know, some of the artists I exist that I collect from promote, you know, like a new artist that comes out 
and sort of impresses another artist or impresses another collector, um, that can get me excited. Uh, and so, you know, joining certain discords like the Deco Life Discord or um, uh, I, I just joined the Grass First Photo Collective where it's it's this uh, um, project created by Riddles.eth or Ethernaz. And he um, is allowing the people in who own the Grassverse NFTs to submit their own photos. And so, for example, back to the art of our times, for me, the most democratic art of all is photography. Now, obviously, we could both go on to uh, NFT Twitter and see some unbelievable photography, whether it's, you know, some of the, the fantastical stuff by Kat Samard or, or, or Drifter Shoots or you know, Justin Aversano. Those are the, the rich get richer, the biggest ones of all. But you and I could go back in our own personal photo collection and find some really cool stuff. And so I'm curious to see how photography will evolve. Um, I just I just collected um, some photography from another collector named Lord Truffington. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, I, I thought that was inspiring. I'm like, you know what? He is putting on another hat, um, his creative hat, uh, which, you know, I think he has shown he's very creative as a curator and as somebody who's can um, build a brand around himself. But uh, this was like another element. So uh, I'm excited to see how people um, democratize the art in the NFT space as well, uh, and that's been sort of one of my, my 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 bigger passions recently. Just seeing how it evolves on that front. It's interesting that you bring up photography and NFTs because that's something that I've kind of overlooked. I'm not proud of that, and I'm just starting to get into. And actually, my next pie, I seldom do this. Uh, give a little alpha about who the next guest is, but. I will right now is that uh, the next guest that we have is going to be an NFT uh, photographer, a uh, pretty well-known one. So uh, I wanted to kind of get his perspective on, um, you know, how he got into it and what what's the value prop there behind uh, from his perspective behind NFT photography. Just because to me, although it's something I've overlooked, if I kind of step back and zoom out, it looks to me like such an obvious uh, use case because Photography in re the real world is very popular, um, prints of it, collecting it, uh, but it really hasn't picked up, I think, enough traction, at least to the same degree that uh, hand-drawn ones have. Uh, and it's kind of like, I don't know why, uh, why that's the case. And so I think there is a meta happening where we're kind of seeing that now, but it quite hasn't happened. I just want to you know, hear from not only collectors yourself, but also that actual NFT photographer and just kind of hear his take on it and just uh, share that with the listeners. I, I'm actually curious to see how NFT photography evolves just because we're so comfortable taking photos. There's so many photos. There's some crazy chart of what happened after digital cameras took off and then phones. And the amount of photos I think taken in a day is probably more than was taken in a year. You know. 20 years ago, and and then probably more taken in a day than was taken before the year 1980, ever. So I, I think that there is probably simultaneously this notion of accessibility. Like anybody can create a photo. Why would I pay for a beautiful photo? I can just go look at it online. But that's you know a microcosm of the same complaint that people have about art and right-click save, and I don't I don't need to own it to 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 appreciate it. So I, I think that. Um, I'm curious to see how NFT photography evolves. It, it seems like it's going to be even more 
of a um, power law dynamic where the top artists, photography artists in the space will have these massive valuations for their, for their work. And then there's just going to be a lot of art out there that's very excessively priced, um, which is great for displaying art, but at the same time, it's harder to, to uh, become a quote unquote successful NFT photographer artist. It's such an interesting point that I really didn't think about because I'm about the same age as you, middle-aged guy. And so I was around that era where you had to have like a camera and you had to have film and you had to make sure that you didn't open up the camera because otherwise the, uh, the film would get exposed. Uh, some stuff yeah. that I did as a child and, you know, also got in trouble as a kid a few times when I did that to the to my dad's camera. And then uh, once, you know, you've taken the photographs and they all had like a capacity, I can't remember, it was something like 32. It depended also on the kind of film. You'd have to go to a drugstore place that can process those images and then you pick them up um, in physical form. And so back then there was an element of scarcity, but we don't really yep. have that right now. And we're just so conditioned to taking pictures all the time and just having access to pictures all the time. I didn't, I've never actually thought about it the same way. I see it very plausible, like the graph that you described where there's probably more images taken today in the year than like images uh, aggregated between whenever the camera was invented to 1980. I, I see that as very plausible. Um, it's really, I have to digest that a bit, but that's a really interesting point that I probably would like to discuss a little bit with, uh, my next guest too, and kind of hear his, uh, his uh, thoughts around that and his response to that. So, so as far as, uh, let's just kind of talk about forward looking things. So like what, where do you, how do you see the space changing like five years from now, from your perspective? What is your, I would say, say, yeah, no, this is a great question. The, the, uh, Every so often I have this like pang of doubt, like maybe this is all going nowhere. But for the most part, most days, this just feels like it's the earliest part of a massive shift um, in the art market uh, and potentially in a good chunk of the technology stack that controls how we interact with the web. Um, a lot of things need to change for that to be, uh, for that shift to happen. But let you know. Let we we can stick to the art market for a bit. I think we're going to see massive waves of new collectors, and even bigger waves of new artists to come serve those collectors. So you know, going back to that idea of a of a power law of who is going to be quote unquote successful. And I, again, I want to say there's two levels of success for an artist. If you're creating, and you derive some. Um, you know, some nourishment to your soul from that, that's successful. Like that is an important part of, of, of anybody's life. And an artist sometimes just is, feels compelled to do it. And it, it helps them with all sorts of things in their life, whether it's, you know, making them a, a happier person or, or more sometimes even processing trauma. But that's a, a baseline of artist success. If you want to participate in the market of NFTs or art, the art market, and that's a whole different type of uh, of success. And so the power law that I'm describing is more about that financial success, that recognition of your art. Um, and I think that we're going to have a lot of amateur artists that come in. Some of them are going to actually turn into the quote unquote artist with a capital A. You know, the, 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 the people that we look back 100 years from now and say, that person is significant. And I think that um, 
the gatekeeping that used to happen in the art space is is falling by the wayside. We will find new forms of gatekeeping. We're already seeing in the NFT space that um, artists often take off when the OG, the, those the people that own punks or the people that own Fidenzas or the people that own uh, that were early in the space effectively. When they anoint a new artist, that artist often takes off. Um, but I don't think it has to stay that way or will stay that way. And so uh, I think these massive waves will um, be very uh, tumultuous, will also create opportunity, both for artists, both for collectors. And, you know, interestingly, most maybe most importantly, for the exposure to new art. Like, I, I think we're going to we're going to have, um, you know, instead of children going to see a museum twice a year as part of once as a school trip and once with their parents or their grandparents on a, on a rainy Saturday, we're going to have art that's everywhere. You know, digital art it can be put on a TV, on your phone, on these uh, up and coming new frames. It's going to be so ubiquitous um, that, you know, we're going to have a hard time escaping uh, the, the amount of art that we're going to be able to see. That's going to be great. I think it's, it's uh, really exciting. Now, this this begs the earlier question of like, where is Instagram in all of this? Why why haven't the more visual mediums and and we could throw YouTube and Snapchat and uh, TikTok in there as well? Um, how how come those guys haven't played a bigger role in NFTs? And I think it's it's just really about um, openness. They need to be a little bit more uh, open about what they're allowing to happen on the platform. Um, so th those are those are some thoughts. I, I have some thoughts on corporations and brands and venture capital, but we can, we can stop at that for now. Yeah, I, I I agree with a lot of what you said there. For me, although I play in all different spaces of Web three, if you want to uh, segment them into like PFPs and art and music and all the other segments out there, um, I think the one that has the most staying power is art. PFPs, I could make a argue. I could see an argument for it. I could see it against it. I could see it with a lot of the things that I just listed earlier. But I can't really list too many things against art because, I guess maybe thinking about my journey, how I got into the space was, I, I took a year of art history in college. Um, but I'm an economics major as an undergrad. Uh, but I've always appreciated the art, but I couldn't appreciate the arts, but I couldn't collect it because you could point out a piece of art and tell me it's worth three thousand dollars and i wouldn't have any ground to tell you otherwise but what this space has allowed me as like an amateur a novice collectors enter in the space and using the blockchain look at like the artist's history of uh sales and being able to kind of tell between that and the amount of noise that they make on you know twitter discord endorsements from other artists be able to kind of get a pretty good sense and an appraisal value of what that art is worth uh, and so as a collector, it's opened up a whole bunch of different avenues that weren't open to me before, similar to what you described for the artist too, just opened up a whole bunch of, you know, different avenues that weren't, wasn't, weren't available. And so I don't have to, we're talking about gatekeepers. I don't have to rely on like a gallery or anyone else to kind of curate that for me. I can just go up there yep. and go onto an open sea, go onto a foundation, go onto a rareable, super rare and find an art piece that I like and do a little bit of, you know, research. And when I say research, you know, what I described takes about five minutes to go and look through, you know, the artist's sales history and uh, put their name into Twitter and just kind of look around and be able to get a good sense. Like, is this a good deal? Is this something that I think would appreciate in price? 
So um, I'm very bullish on the use case for art. And what you said also is I think it's going to be ubiquitous everywhere. We're going to just have so much art on, because even in current, in the current state without these digital frames, uh, the way that we're hoping that they be rolled out, uh, you can display that art virtually anywhere. And um, even some platforms like Twitter allowing you to uh, embed your PFP, embed your NFT into the PFP, uh, into your profile picture. And I have no doubt that Facebook, uh, Instagram will allow similar things. They're kind of playing around in that space to some degree. Um, I don't think they support PFP embeddability yet, but uh, but I think it's going to eventually take off. To your point, yeah, we can talk a lot about it, which, you know, corporations, venture fund, uh, venture capital, um, you know, a lot of those, uh, they have some skin in the game to kind of combat that, I think. Uh, but I think eventually this technology, even more broadly, is going to be so ubiquitous blockchain technology that they just won't be able to win that battle and have to kind of acquiesce. Similar to what the music industry had to do in the late 90s and early 2000s when you had Napster and LimeWire and BearShare. Again, yeah. the yep. middle-aged man in me uh, remembers those things. I don't know if uh, our listeners were even necessarily born back then, <laughs> but I was around that era and I was young, but not super young, uh, at least old enough to be able to use those tools and maybe even be kicked out of one or two of those platforms. Definitely got the notice from Napster for a download there. Um, but it, it, it was an era where uh, the industry was really pushing back on the technology and it was very contentious. But at some point they you know, figured out that, hey, this isn't going to go anywhere. So how do we play nice with these guys and adopt it and be able to monetize it? Now, you know, these uh, companies do not think twice about MP3s or any other uh uh, uh, compressed uh, audio or video or any of those things. They figured out the mechanics behind that. And I think a similar thing's also going to play out in, um, you know, NFTs and Web3 is that we're just so early to the game that it's it's very new and the user experience, if you're just getting in, it's a little bit clunky. You know, you, there's a lot of things that you have to do and a lot of steps involved, but then it'll get better where it'll be kind of like an Amazon type yeah. experience where if you see an NFT, you enter a credit card number, you can purchase it. Gas fees will be nominal to non-existent. Uh, we might not even talk about gas fees at that point. Um, but we're not there yet. I can't yeah, wait. I can't wait, especially with ETH going up. I can't gas wait. prices have been creeping up also. Yeah. Um, yeah, though the ETH, the ETH versus US dollar or, or fiat-based pricing debate is another fascinating one. Like, we have tied ourselves to ETH. And, you know, it's great for us early adopters and folks who, you know, really like the technology. But it, it is a weird barrier to entry um, for the average user. So some platforms have, you know, been more aggressive about, uh, you know, pricing these in dollars. Nifty Gateway is is an example. Um, but I think your clunky point is, I a thousand percent agree with that. I, I really hope that the software improves and security improves and safety improves. And I don't need to uh, warn people that I try and onboard into Web three that they're gonna lose all their all their assets in a, in, a, in a 15 minute period after they click on the wrong link it's that's just too strong yeah totally that's all it takes so it's yeah an interesting situation where as part of the onboarding process you have to put all these disclosures and different you know uh, uh little tidbits and stuff and don't click this don't click that in fact don't click on anything you know maybe just run it by me the first few times just so i can kind of vet it for you uh handhold you through the process so 
Yeah, all that's to say is we're just su- super early. Um, but I think uh, in the long run, the underlying, I can't really speculate too much about the other stuff, but I feel very bullish about art and then extremely bullish about just blockchain technology overall being ubiquitous everywhere. I think we'll have a future where everything's tokenized, whether it's a lawnmower or a cup of coffee, yep. just all that stuff will be residing on the blockchain. So. So as far as uh, I know that we have a lot of artists that are listening to the podcast. So as a collector, what advice would you have for like artists that are just starting out some like things, mistakes that you see they're making early in the game? Um, Are there any things that you kind of spot there that you just like kind of would want to warn about? So the most common piece of advice I give an early artist is um, you don't need to mint everything you create. Uh, uh, you know, going back to that dichotomy of success, like you, you can be a successful artist if if the art brings you joy or or happiness or some other um, nourishment. And uh, but if you want a success in the art space, you need to mint selectively, whether it's at the pace of sales, which is you know often good advice, um, or you know you you decide I'm just going to mint the things that I consider good. Or that I, or that I believe uh, my uh, collectors might be interested in. So that's just one uh, piece of advice. Now, as we talked about earlier, innovation is uh, is one of the things that sometimes makes artists stand out. And I do want to say that every artist that I've spoken to, I've said the same thing. You have your own journey. You need to figure out what you want to do in the space, what you want to do with your art. Um, sure, listen to collectors, listen to other artists follow some good examples, but you're, you need to blaze your own path. And so sometimes that means going crazy on, on minting or doing a massive open edition with some, you know, new burn mechanic. Will that work over the long term? I don't know, but I, I do, I do admire, as you mentioned earlier, artists that are trying new things, pushing new boundaries, thinking um, about new ways to attract collectors or the, or the respect of other artists or, you know, just to, to have fun with it. Um, beyond that, I would say, I would give the advice to a lot of artists and, and projects and, and groups of people that are working um, together to focus on, on narrative. Like what are you, are you trying to send a message or tell a story? How do you engage your audience? I'm not saying all art is storytelling, but I do think that that's, storytelling resonates with uh, with humans and if you can engage people in a way where they feel connected to your project or your art and to some greater sense of purpose or 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 interestingness that's great and uh so to the extent that you can do that and and stay consistent on that um obviously while staying true to yourself or whatever whatever your goals are for your art that'd be that'd be great as well um but but for the most part, uh, if you're trying to sell art, you've got to treat a bunch of it like a business, and that includes the marketing. It includes the, you know, I, I, I hesitate to use this term, the customer service or the. <laughs> um, so uh, there there is more to be had, and I think there are groups of of folks on the web that are publishing great info for this. Um, I know uh, you and I are both part of a group called the OG Collective which which ha- tries to help artists and um, sometimes get launched sometimes with advice obviously we collect as a um n- right now in a very distributed fashion um from artists uh so if you, if you know folks in a group like that 
reach out for advice. Oh yeah, that's a great piece of advice. Ask for advice. You'll be surprised at how willing other artists are to give advice or collectors are to give advice. Do, don't necessarily like go implement anything immediately. Process, take notes, figure out what fits within your, uh, your goals and, and Couldn't agree more. Um, that's actually exactly the one piece of advice that I uh, give is ask for advice. And then whenever I give my advice, I always end it with saying, ask other people to uh, get the diversity of thoughts there, because what I say doesn't necessarily mean it's gospel. And you could ask another collector and another collector, another collector, and they'll say something contradictory to what I say. But if you're having like five collectors say the same thing and just me saying another thing, then maybe put some weight into the five collectors are as important as I think I am sometimes. So I couldn't agree more. And I think with this space is like, you shouldn't be shy either because we're so early in the space and we're all so eager to help each other out. So we're very open and want to kind of help push the space forward. So don't be shy or have any reservations about just sending a cold DM. I wouldn't necessarily recommend a cold DM to show a project or show a piece but especially if it's someone that's collected from you before, just asking like, hey, what do you think about X, Y, Z? And just kind of getting that advice, which kind of leads me into the next question, something that you alluded to. So for an artist, all right, you collected one of their pieces. How would you like to be engaged, if at all, going forward after that? That's a great question. I think that at this point I've collected um, a lot of art from a lot of different artists. So I don't have enough bandwidth to have a, a strong connection with all of them. Um, I, I do actually like to be uh, acknowledged on Twitter, not that I need the acknowledgement, but if they want to, like, oh, I just sold this to Inceptionally, I'm happy to retweet that artist. or, or yeah. even comment. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a win-win. And, and for me, I often, if, unless it's like an open edition or really inexpensive edition, if I buy a piece of art, I generally have some type of connection with it. Um, that is, you know, either personal or or something that resonated with me, and I like to share that often on on Twitter. Um, but beyond that, if I if I have a few of your pieces, I generally love to just hear about your story or your process. Um, partially because uh, I think it'll make me a better collector, but more interestingly, I think you really can't divorce a lot of art from the, the creator. And I like to hear the backstory. Um, you know, back to my earlier narrative point, the art itself has its own narrative of how it got created. And the more that you can um, share with me personally, you don't need to share it publicly if you don't want, and you don't even need to share it with me. But if you were willing to, I, I, I often like to hear, you know, what you went through to create it and why and what it means to you. Yeah, the ability to storytell like you talked about earlier, I think is a very important piece. It's not like the only piece. It's not mandatory, but I think the better you are at that and the more that you share just enhances and positions you better for success. Sure, there's some artists that are anonymous and successful, so I'm not going to say it's necessarily the most important box to check. But for me, I, I think I have a similar mindset as you do when I approach art that I'm buying because I like the art, but I'm buying also because of the collector. And the more I know about the, I'm sorry, buy from the artist uh, as a collector. So the more that I know yeah. about the artist and their journey and some of the things that they went through, the more interesting it becomes to me, especially when it's depicted in the art um, and they have a story around that. It just becomes more of a compelling value, uh, a, a compelling reason to buy rather. So just a couple more. Did you want to add something? Actually, 
what what one more yeah one more thought on that like and this is kind of maybe the most extreme example of it um if anybody if if out there if you're familiar with van gogh <laughs> uh his his story was obviously you know a bizarre one but it was basically remained untold during his career and he didn't sell much it wasn't until i think his sister-in-law Yo Van Gogh, and there was a great New York Times uh, like podcast about this, who basically took it upon herself to connect his art with his letters and his madness. I mean, what, what, and, and whatever other elements of his personality that, that drove his art, that really kind of changed the perspective of the collectors back then and to this day has made him an enduring artist. Now, I don't want any of the artists out there going mad to create uh, better art or sell more art. But I think that it shows, it shows that when you connect the art to a, a broader, um, interesting story, uh, it becomes uh, more interesting. And I have one more thought mm -hmm. on your previous question around advice and going back to the, you know, the, the investing and I, I was an entrepreneur a couple of times. And when we used to pitch venture capitalists, there was an old uh, saying that you, or adage that people would talk about when you're pitching venture capitalists. If you go in asking for money, you get advice. If you go in asking for advice, <laughs> you get money. So some, so when it comes to, it's probably true with collectors as well. Like if you come in with an open mind to a collector and say, hey, here's what I'm creating. I want your advice on it. And, and that collector, you know, gives you some advice. Sometimes that turns into a sale. But if you come in trying to sell them, they'll be like, well, that's great. Let me give you, let me tell you why I'm not going to buy. Not always. It's not a, it's not a, a hundred percent truism. And certainly most venture capitalists don't fund most uh, startups that ask for advice, but it's a, yeah, I it's like a that. I think line. it's very applicable to uh, this space too. Um, so just shifting gears a little bit, going from artists to collectors. So for new artists starting out, I'm sorry, new collectors starting out, what advice would you give them? Like, do you have any things that you would kind of do differently? I know I do. 100%. Um, I guess the simplest piece of advice is it's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would realize that, you know, you, you have a certain amount of ETH that you're going to be spending. Um, and try and find the art and the artists that resonate with you. You don't need to go all in on, on projects right away. I did that on a bunch of projects and that might work out for me over the long term. But at this point, I think that I, I've, I learned so much in those first few months that I probably could have learned, um, with spending less, um, and listening more and, you know, being more open-minded to new techniques and new artists and, uh, new communities. I think uh, jumping into many communities early on in your in your journey is probably the most valuable thing you can do. Um, you know, and that doesn't necessarily suit everybody's personality, but if you if you can find like-minded people or or folks that you trust in these various communities, you don't need to stick with them all. Like we've all left a bunch of discords over the year or years in many cases, but um, jumping into many communities will, will give you a sense as to what resonates with you in the space. So what I'm hearing is uh, research, listen, diversity and collecting, and also uh, community centric. Spend all your, <laughs> Don't spend all your right away. guilty of that for sure at times. 
Um, <laughs> so just one last question. We'll end it on a positive note. What excites you the most about Web3? The big question. All right. For me, I think it's the fact that it feels like it's just the beginning of a new future. Uh, I know... I like to learn new things and we are kind of inventing the future with web three. Uh, a lot of what you and I have talked about over the, this, this podcast and in the past is, is art, but it goes a lot beyond that in terms of what it can do. You, you reference how a lot of things will be tokenized in the future. I mean, it really works well for certain things, whether it's ticketing or souvenirs or, or even assets, like assets are the, are the biggest market of all, houses, cars, whatever. If you can get to a place where ownership is tokenized and managed in a decentralized fashion, it really changes the game for um, how we live our lives and maybe how we borrow money or how we spend money um, or, or how we save money. And you know, from an investor standpoint, you know, like some of my earliest roots, that's super exciting. Um, but we're not, we're nowhere near that right now. So I, I'm just enjoying the journey of learning and helping figure out wh where this all goes. Um, on a more practical level, I do love the fact that this has, I've described it as, this changes the playing field. It doesn't really level the playing field. I don't think that if you were a marginalized person and a in a, in a developing country that, you know, you're on equal footing with, uh, with somebody with a lot of assets in, in, in a major U.S. city. But you can, you can break in in a way to the art space or to the Web3 space more broadly um, uh, in a way that you never could have done with traditional startups or traditional art market. And that's exciting and fun and, and, and feels like it's uh, – it's a big step forward for for innovators and artists and even collectors as well. What I sense is, um, you know, you you're you're an investor. You want to get you know your money's worth, but you're in it because you just want to be part of the journey as well. Because you see the space as something that's going to change and revolutionize. And I, I say space, I just mean broadly Web three and blockchain. Something that's going to revolutionize the future. Yeah. So you just want to have your foot in the water and be a part of it. Similar to like the nineties, I would say, which we were both kind of around for, um, in the same way that we yeah. both saw what the internet can do in the future and just wanted to be a part of it, you know, in some form or another, um, and didn't know exactly where it's going to go. But, you know, as we see right now, the technology is definitely ubiquitous. And I say this all the time, which is like back in the nineties, I could ask you, Hey, conceptually, what did you do for, uh, what did you do for over the weekend? And you could say I was using the internet and I could say, okay, cool. Um, if I were to ask you that right now, I'd be like, so what does that mean? Were you like booking an Airbnb? Were you watching Netflix? Were you buying something on eBay? Like, I don't know what using the internet means. And I think in the same vein, I, I could ask you, what were you doing this weekend today? And you could say, I was buying NFTs. And I'd say, okay, cool. Maybe I'd have a few follow-up questions like, what'd you buy? But, you know, I wouldn't question it too much. But I think 30 years from now, if I were to ask you that question, uh, what, what were you doing this weekend and or this past weekend? And you said I was buying NFTs and I'm going to be like, well, does that mean you were buying a house or did you buy a car? Like, <laughs> cause I completely agree that the underlying technology I think is going to revolutionize the world in a big way. You probably went through the same thing too, but when you bought your first house, when you looked at all the different fees and closing uh, costs and you looked at the title fee and it's just like, 
what the heck? That's like two months payment. Like that's like two mortgage payments right there. And now like looking. And you and you yeah, still don't you know, trust like, it. You know, it's like sits in some sort of file cabinet. Yeah, probably. They just collect the money. <laughs> Who really actually does the work behind that stuff? And then, like now knowing the technologies out there, like I think that line item can be just completely eliminated. Um, it's just a matter of adoption and probably some resistance from some title companies that don't want that to happen because they're you know they're uh, subs, uh, sustaining themselves uh, relies on those title fees. So um, yeah, I think it's interesting times and uh, we have ahead here. So. I really appreciate having you on the podcast, hearing your thoughts for as a collector. It's the first that we've had. Um, you know, you're very forward looking. You've had a great track record of success, both in like the real world and also Web3 world, being able to spot trends, you know, before they're coming. So again, really thank you for making the time for us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, folks, here's the part. I'm going to thank each of you that I was able to identify for minting episode one. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I want to express my gratitude to Miss NFT who did mint. She was an amazing guest, just such an awesome energy about her and so thankful to have her as the first guest to kick off the season. So Miss NFT, thank you. Uh, Inceptionally, a fellow OG collective member, thank you for minting. Silent, who appears to be an on-chain monkey holder, I appreciate you minting. And that's silent with an SC. Uh, Travi, another OG collective member. Good dude. Thank you so much. Immigrant daughter, someone I know through the Daily Dose community. And I also know her from Note to Self, that community. Thank you. Two, that's T-O-O. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Thank you. Giancarlo, an amazing host. I know him through the Note to Self community. Thank you. Kuyamo. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Thank you. Crypto Clarence, another OG collective member. Thank you so much for minting. Appreciate it. Andre Decolife, guest from last season, a prolific artist, an amazing collector. Thank you for minting. Aslan Art, someone who I really admire, great, great artist that I'd love to have on the show one day. Uh, thank you so much for minting. Skakapo, hopefully I'm saying that right. I really appreciate you minting. Thank you. Gilby, thank you for minting. The Hodel, appreciate you for minting. JB, non-chain monkey holder and someone who's been really helpful in onboarding me into that community. Thank you so much for minting. Appreciate you. Zombie Queen, who seems to also go by Tamus, appreciate you minting. Emil MTO, awesome artist, awesome person, loyal listener. Love you, man. Thank you so much for minting. Diswell, you minted as well. Thank you. Dead Code, a great artist in the FX hash space. Perhaps we can have him as a guest. Thank you for minting. Chaos Sculper, you minted. Appreciate you. Thank you. Beelers, someone I know through the Deco Life community. Amoebit holder, very envious. Thank you for minting. Last one. Great artist, someone I've collected before. Maybe one day I'll have him on the podcast. Thank you. Uh, Doug Lightful, thank you so much for minting. Appreciate it. DVD Dan, fellow OG collective member, great person. Love his company, love his spirit. Thanks so much for minting. Uh, this name is not quite vulgar, but it's getting pretty close and try to keep it G-rated on the show. Seven Ucking Bad, thank you for minting. MX Art, 
a guest from last season. We used a little bit of AI to uh, have his uh, presence be known on the podcast last season. And he's also the king of the hard glitch. Thank you for minting. Liz Queen, appreciate you minting. Rebecca B., a great collector, a great person. Thank you so much for minting. It means a lot to me. Charming Bastard, someone who I've known for about 20 years now, though neither of us want to mint and we know each other from the real world and we're both playing in the Web3 space. Love you, man. Thank you so much for minting. Jay Thorne, appreciate you minting. Robert Brogan, dear friend, guest from last season, very memorable one. Thank you so much for minting. It means the world to me. And the last person, I'm probably going to butcher this name, uh, excuse me, Tenston Mandaland. It's almost like a play on Amanda, uh, but some uh, extra characters in the beginning there. I really appreciate you minting. And to all of you, even if you didn't mint, I just appreciate you guys for listening. It means so much to me. It really keeps the podcast going. So hopefully you get an opportunity to mint the next episode and partake in some of the, some of the interesting activities that we have. So be good. Stay well. We'll talk soon. that concludes this show. I hope you enjoyed listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please, please leave a five-star rating and a positive review. It helps boost the podcast and hopefully the value of the podcast NFT if you decide to mint. Thank you. And until next time.